Well, it's good to see you. Can you all hear me? I'm just going to yep. move that microphone, if that's okay. I've met many of you before. Put your hands up if you've not met me before. Oh, you've missed out. Wonderful. <laughs> uh, so I'm Mark. I'm uh, the, uh, your regional minister, but I'm also the team leader for the association. Uh, if you don't know, for those of you who don't know, the Baptist... Uh, family within the East Midlands, East Midlands Baptist Association, you're one of 150 churches, Baptist churches that are in uh, that uh, union together. And the idea is that we can do some things together to support each other as churches like yourselves, but also to support churches that are struggling in various ways by making grants to them, by sometimes the team like myself going into churches to help churches when they're like you are, uh, looking for a new minister, uh, or maybe when the church is going through a difficult patch and it needs some help and support, maybe set some vision uh, for the future, maybe wrestling with some issues with their buildings and all kinds of things that we do. But we're there to help and support churches in any way that we can, and you are uh, one of those churches in that group, and so it's great to get out and about uh, and to see you and to meet you. Uh, but one of the joys for me I was saying this earlier to Owen, uh, who's one of your new leaders, I think, that uh, I've been in the East Midlands to the whole of my ministry. I trained at Spurgeon's College back too long ago now, Nick, too long ago, uh, uh, back in 1989, no, yeah, 1989. So I've been in the East Midlands over 30 years. I was at Whetstone Baptist Church in South Leicester for 23 years as their pastor, and then I became the team leader for the association. Uh, so I know the patch pretty well. I've lived here longer than any other time. And it's a great place to be, the East Midlands. Uh, so if you want to know more about what we do, look on our website. Uh, but we're here to help and support you. And I feel really blessed that Colin has hung about long enough. Uh, that is, is here for me to come here today. And uh, I think we've been in the patch a similar length of time, Colin, haven't we? Um, but... We thank God for leaders like Colin, who've supported you as a church. Pray God for more leaders like that in all of our churches, who, who stand up and do the work that God calls them to. And we're going to be touching on that a little bit later in my message. So let's have a, uh, a look at this passage together from Genesis 22. I remember sitting my... Old Testament theology exam at Spurgeon's College. And I went in for my exam. Am I using this, by the way? That's great. I'll press the first one and then we should see whether we... There we go. I remember sitting my Old Testament theology exam and I revised certain bits with my partner, went in to the room, sat down, turned the paper over and couldn't answer any of the questions. All my revision that I'd done in certain areas, I looked at the paper and thought, none of it's there. What am I doing here? And I'd already sat, because they used to work as proper in them days, I'd already sat a three-hour Old Testament history paper in the morning. So this was the afternoon, and I looked at this paper and I thought, well, actually, if I'm honest, I wanted to cry. Because I thought, that's it, I'm going to fail this paper, which will mean I'll have to resit that whole year. 
So I looked at the paper and thought, well, I'll just have to have a go and just answer the bits that I can answer. Guess at a few bits, you know. And we came out of the exam and my mate, my study partner, Mick, said to me, that was great, wasn't it? Everything we wanted was in that paper. And I thought, which paper did you see? And I said, I, and I actually, I, I, I got really upset. I said, no, mate, I thought I failed that paper. And uh, I was a bit desperate, really. And then the results came out, and I got a first. It was a miracle of God. It really was. To this day, I don't understand how that happened. And Mickey, my friend, got a two. And he was not happy with me. And he said, what was all that about? And to this day, I genuinely... But that moment, friends, you all, many of you have experienced those moments where there's a test in front of you and you think, I don't know how to cope with this. Well, this story today is about a great test. And we're going to look at that together. You can imagine the situation. Abraham and Sarah, you know the story if you've read Genesis. They've been longing for a son and they didn't have a son. And then God miraculously speaks into their lives and promises them a son. But it doesn't happen straight away. 20 years go past until this promise comes to fruition. And by then, Abraham's thought to have been about 100 years old and Sarah about 90. And they named him Isaac because the name Isaac means laughter. And maybe they named him that because they laughed when God said, you're going to have a baby. At 70, let alone 90. And maybe they laughed because ultimately of the joy that he brought into their lives. You know, Isaac is a bit older when we come to the story that we're reading today. And it's a dramatic record of a remarkable moment in the life of Abraham. And it's a story without precedent in the Old Testament because God had never demanded human sacrifice. Nobody else had been asked to do this. Can you imagine the confusion of Abraham when God had miraculously provided him with this son so that he had a future and his family had a future? And then God says, now I want you to kill that son. Can you understand? This is an abhorrent demand of God, isn't it? It's awful. And it's illogical. It doesn't make any sense. Isaac was the result of God's promise and miraculous intervention. How could God, who had provided him in such a miraculous way, ask Isaac to give him up, uh, ask Abraham to give him up, to kill him? And what was he going to tell Sarah? How would he face her? I can't imagine the turmoil that was going through his heart as he made that journey to Moriah. It all seemed so improbable, impossible, unnecessary. Why? Why? That question must have pierced Abraham's heart, mustn't it? But we know the answer. Because this is like a Columbo movie, isn't it? Who remembers Columbo movies? We know the answer. We know who the baddie is. Columbo always knew who the baddie was. 
Well, we know that this is a test. It's only a test. Genesis 22 verse 1 tells us God was testing Abraham. Abraham didn't know that. And that's how we have to understand the story in the light of this verse, verse 1, that it's a great test. Do you like facing tests? Any kind of test. That my son is a weirdo. He likes like sitting exams. I kind of hate that stuff, but he kind of likes it. And as I said, I remember sitting exams at Spurgeon's College, walking into that lecture room with the papers on the desks face down and sitting there waiting to have a look and the anxiety building, trying to put your pens and your pencils on the, on the desk ready to go. Papers that would decide your future. Exams, tests that would decide your future. But I knew those tests were coming. I knew that exam was coming. I'd been able to revise and work at passing it. But that's not the same with Abraham. He didn't know it was a test. He thought God was being deadly serious, didn't he? And that's often what happens when tests come into our lives, isn't it? We don't expect them. They hit us like an earthquake. They send us into shock. And they maybe make us question where God is. Or maybe make us ask, why God are you allowing that? Why God are you asking me to go through that? Why God did that happen? And these times test our character as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. And this story today is all about the testing of Abraham's character. God tested him by asking him to give up the most precious thing in his life. Or in fact, we could put it in the way, God was testing what was the most precious thing in his life. Was it his son? Or was it God? The God who had given him his son, miraculously. Doesn't take away from the fact that it's a horrible test. Remember, Isaac was more than just a child. I keep stressing this, born to them in old age. He was a child of a miracle. The future of Abraham's family and all the promises that God had made to Abraham about blessing him and giving him descendants as, as many as the grains of sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky, all relied upon Isaac. So God wasn't only testing him about his Isaac, about, but he was also testing him about whether he believed God's promises for the future, for his family. It's a monstrous demand when you first look at it. How could any father kill their own son? And God knew what it cost because there's that little verse, isn't there? It says, take your son, your only son, who you love. It's like God's rubbing it in. When he's asking him the question, take your only son, who you love, God knows what he's asking of Abraham. Have you ever had to face anything really difficult in your life? It can be all kinds of things because 
trials and tests and difficulties come into our lives, no matter where we're from, what language we speak, what culture we are. It could be that somebody that we love, maybe ourselves, are facing a terrible illness, a terrible diagnosis that we've had from the doctor and we've got to tell our family. It might be that we're grieving the loss of somebody that we love who died maybe far too early and we say to God, why? It may be that a relationship that we've invested in hugely has failed and broken. And we say, God, why? I pinned my hopes for the future on that relationship. And yet I was betrayed and let down. It might be that we're having to relocate or it might be that we're dealing with a deep sorrow over something in our lives. It might be because of the economic circumstances we're in, we suddenly find we can't pay our bills. We can't meet uh, the demands to feed our children. We know, don't we, our friends in Ukraine are going through difficulty at the moment, and I know that there will be some there saying, why, God, is this happening? Maybe we've experienced depression or anxiety in our lives over things maybe there's been a breakdown in relationships within our families and we don't understand why friends testing will come into our lives in this world when because we're a christian god doesn't remove difficulties from us i will just stress this please don't hear me say all that testing comes from god it doesn't all come from god Sometimes it comes because it's the world in which we live. But sometimes we want God to make the path all smooth. But actually, sometimes this testing refines our character. Sometimes this testing shows where our security really is. But those times still affect our sleep, don't they? Our moods and our emotions. They test our faith in God. The question that this passage poses for us, Ren, is this. When those testing times come, how do you respond? When those difficulties come into your lives, how do you respond? What did Abraham do? I don't know if you noticed in the passage, but it said early the next morning he got up and set off towards... Early the next morning he got up to obey God. I'd have been delaying that as long as possible, wouldn't you? But Abraham obeyed God. It was really hard. It was really tough. He didn't want to do it, but he obeyed God. And he put God first in his life. Ahead of his children, ahead of his child. It was only a test though, wasn't it? We know that. Abraham didn't. But incredibly, Abraham remained faithful to the voice of God, the command of God, and he obeyed. And he put God first. I've been a pastor for a long time now. 
And something that I've noticed sometimes in church over that time is when some of these difficulties come into people's lives, they disappear from church. Because they don't want to get upset in church and people see them upset. Um, or they, they just kind of pull into themselves. Instead of running to God, instead of still putting God first and saying, God, I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand why I'm going through this, but you are God. You are my Savior. And even though I don't understand, I trust you. I put you first. I believe that you will see me through this. And that's what we learn here from Abraham that he put God first. In my last church, I used to get into trouble because I used to talk about sport on a Sunday morning. And I used to say, why aren't you bringing your kids to church? And people said, well, they play football on a Sunday morning. And I'm saying, well, how are they going to learn? How are they going to belong? How are they going to... And it, well, but we, Mark, you don't understand? Yeah, I do understand. Find other times. But are you putting God first in your life, in your family life? My fear sometimes with these folks is that they don't just give up on church, they give up on God. They doubt that God can see them through the trial that they're having. You know, when I was called into the ministry, I was about 24 years old then, when I first felt that sense of call. I went to a little church on a, a rough council estate in Leeds. Not all Leeds is rough, but this particular part of Leeds was. A place called Middleton. And uh, it's about three or four miles from Elland Road, or heaven as it's known to many people. Um, this little church had 20 members. And when I was called into the ministry, uh, I went to see my pastor, and he said, well, we can't, we can't support you at all. Have you applied for a grant? Didn't get a grant. Baptist Union don't fund ministers in training. The EMBA do, friends. I'll just say that to you, just so that you know, we're leading the pack. But I said to my minister, well, how am I going to go to college? And my minister said to me, well, you've got a house, haven't you? I knew the right answer was yes. I said, well, I've got five years of a mortgage in a house, yeah. He said, well, who gave you your house? I knew the right answer was God, but I didn't want to say it. So I said, well... God. He said, so God gave you, maybe God gave you a house so that you can train at Spurgeon's. Okay, so you have to sell your house. That wasn't a pleasant conversation. So I came home and I went home to Karen and I said, Gary says we've got to sell the house. And my wife, who's always been a lot more faithful than me, said, okay, that's all right. So when I went to train at college, we sold our house. We sold every share I had in the company that I worked for. We used every bit of our finance that we had saved. Uh, and at 20, 26 years old, went to Spurgeon's. And after three years of a four-year course, we ran out of money. And my last year at Spurgeon's, paid for on a credit card, hoping I'd get a job. And then I was called to Weston Baptist Church. Never thought we would own a house again. Just, that's okay, God is good. Retired Baptist minister's housing, that'll do me. And, uh, but then the church grew 
And somebody in the church said, have you ever wanted to buy your own house, Mark? Yes. Well, we'll help you because we need to move you out of the man so we can use it as offices and uh, we'll help you get a house. And so the result is, here I am, nearly 60 years old, and I own a house. God is good. God is good. But when at that time it looked impossible, my minister said, put God first. If this is God's calling, God will provide. And it was easy for him to say it. But actually, I say it to people now. <laughs> if God calls you, God will provide. If God is asking you to do something, friends, this morning, if God is testing you, are you going to put him first? Are you going to step up? Or are you going to be fearful? Abraham was really presented with a stark choice. It's either God or your son. You choose. Bear in mind, God gave you your son as well, you know. Abraham chose to obey God and walk with God, even in the difficulty, trust God, even in the difficulty. That's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus Christ. The second thing that we see is great faith then. Abraham walked for three days knowing what he intended to do to Isaac. Can you imagine what that walk was like? Hoping all the time that God at some point along the journey was going to say, it's okay, you don't have to do it. It's okay, it's fine. But God didn't do that. God didn't say anything. And so they get to that point where they're going up onto the mountain and Abraham tells his servants to wait and he moves ahead with Isaac. But did you notice what Abraham said in the verse? He says something. He says to his servants to wait there, and then there's that lovely word, we. We're going to go ahead and sacrifice, do what we need to do, but then we will come back. How, did he, how was he able to say that when he knew he was going to sacrifice his son? There's something here, isn't there? about his faith in God and his faith in the promises that God had made to him that through Isaac... His, he would be blessed and all the nations would be blessed. These are not empty words that, Isaiah, uh, that uh, Abraham says here. He knew that God had promised to create a nation through his son and he trusted the promises of God. Hebrews chapter 11 is a great passage of scripture. It's called the faith chapter, isn't it? You know, you know, it begins, doesn't it? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen by faith. And then it goes through and it lists loads of great people of faith. Well, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but this story about Abraham is mentioned in that passage in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 19. This is what it says. By faith, Abraham... When God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Listen to this. This is the bit. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back 
from the dead. These verses tell us that Abraham, he was willing to go with Isaac because he believed God so much. His faith in God was so strong that he believed that God could even raise Isaac from the dead should he sacrifice him so that his promises could be fulfilled. Do you get that? He's still awake. He's still with me. Such was his faith in God that God could even let, allow him to kill Isaac and God would raise him from the dead. And we know God can raise people from the dead, don't we? Here we see New Testament faith in the Old Testament, I think. This was a test then, not of obedience. It was a test of Abraham's faith. Faith in God. Faith in the promises of God. Faith that God is in control, even when the future is uncertain, even when all seems lost, even when everything is really difficult, that God is in control. Do you have that kind of faith? friends, that whatever's happening in your life, whatever difficulty you've got, whatever you, where you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, whatever difficulty or challenge you're going through at the moment, whatever testing time, do you believe the promises of God to you? That, as it says in Romans, that all things will work together for your good if you trust God. We can't see the end of it. Abraham passed the test. But what does this say to us about our faith when we're tested? There may be things that God points to in your life and my life that he doesn't like. And he says, I really love you, but I want you to get rid of that thing in your life. And we say, but I really like it. I like that habit that you're not too keen on. I like that morality that you're not too keen on. And God says, yeah, I love you, but I, I want you to give that up for me. Are you going to put God first? Are you going to put God first, trusting that when everything he asks you to do ultimately results in better for you and better for those around you? When somebody comes to you and says, I think God's calling you to be one of the leaders of Lincoln Baptist Church. Talking about this earlier, Owen. Are you going to step up and say, yes, okay? Or are you going to say, but I ain't got time. I'm really busy. That ministry, our children, are, our young people, or to do this or to do that. No, I haven't got time to do that. Actually, said to me at my last church, I know God's calling me to do this, but I haven't got time. I wanted to scream at them. Then what is, what is your faith in God about? Because, friends, God is going to ask you to do things, to give certain things up. He's going to point to things in your life that he's not happy about. There's that great text, I read it outside a, a poster outside the church. God loves you the way you are, but too much to leave you that way. You know, God loves you just the way you are, but too much to leave you the way you are. God wants an improved version of you and me. And that means he points to things in our lives that he says, I'm not happy about that, let's work on it together. Are you going to put God first? When he calls you to new ministry, are you going to put God first? When he calls you as a church to step out into new things, 
Are you going to put God first? Or are you going to play safe? I don't know what's going on in your life today or in your church fully. Don't know what God wants of you, is asking of you. But I do know and believe that God has all of those things in hand. Even though we don't know the future, we know the God who holds the future, don't we? And I hope and pray that whatever God is challenging you to, you'll be able to say, yes, Lord. Put you first. Put your word first. Live the way you want me to. Help me, Lord, through the work of your Holy Spirit in my life. Through those gifts of the spirits and fruits of the spirit that you'll be learning about and at times friends it will not be easy i did not want to be a baptist minister i had a great job worked in the jewelry industry i traveled to venice and milan and rome i loved it and god said i want you to give all that up and go to spurgeon's college and work for about a third of your salary and uh, you'll love it mark and i said no i won't lord and i tried to run away and eventually, by God's grace, I said, yes. God owes me nothing. I've had the best life. Best life. I'm still having it. Last bit. We're running out of time. We see a great God. This was a test. God never intended Abraham to sacrifice his son. Remember that, uh, the words of Isaac when they were walking up the mountain. He said, um, <clears throat> maybe he was getting a bit worried. <laughs> he was looking around at the wood and everything. He said, where's, where, where's the sacrificial lamb? And Abraham says some wonderful things. He says, God himself will provide the lamb for the sacrifice. How prophetic of that for the future. You see, Abraham was only being tested about offering his son. But God had to actually offer his son so that you and I could have life. We sang that in our very first song in worship today. Abraham didn't have to go through with it. The horror of seeing his son die. But God the Father did. As Jesus died on the cross, God the Father had to hear him say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Dad, why is this happening to me? And we know Jesus didn't want to do it. If you read about the story of Easter, Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Lord, let this cup pass from me three times. He didn't want to do it. You see, in Jesus, we see God offering you and I the most precious thing he had. His only son. So God isn't asking you and I, friends, when he asks us to put him first, he's not asking us to do anything he hasn't done for us. He has offered us his only son who he loved so that we might have life, eternal life, beginning going on into eternity. Abraham's great test called for obedience to God. Abraham's test called for faith in God. And that same God, when Abraham obeyed, led to blessing and his family into a blessed future. Friends, 
the tests and the difficulties that come into our lives call for us to at times renew our obedience and our despite all else to stand and say when all our family say to us how can you believe in God when this is happening to say because God is my God and I believe his promises to me put God first above all else as Abraham did that's my encouragement to you today as individuals as in a church put God first whatever you're facing put God first keep God first one of the great struggles of my life is to try to keep God first ahead of my two children and my wife who I love passionately and I would give my life for but I know that I'm a better father and I'm a better husband when I put God first in my life. That means I'm better for them. Friends, if you want to be a good father, good mother, good parent, good grandparent, good friend, good member of this church, put God first. Obey his teaching, what he asks of you. And then he'll lead you into blessing. I remember that verse, Romans 8, 28. And we know all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Believe that. Hold on to it. Even in the difficulty, believe that God has the best for you in his heart. And demonstrate that faith that results in blessing. Let's pray together. Lord, I don't know the congregation here individually, every one of them, but I, I know that there will be people here this morning who are going through difficult times. I don't know what those times may be. Maybe they've shared that with somebody or maybe they've kept it into their own heart quietly, but Lord, you know. Lord, I ask this morning, would you draw near to each one and when those times of testing come, if they're happening now, or if they're going to come to us in the future, in the coming days, Lord, would you help us in those times of testing not to turn our back and say, why, Lord? But to turn to you and say, why, Lord? But to turn to you and say, Lord, I trust you. I can't see the answer. Lord, I'm in pain and I'm hurting and I'm confused. But Lord, you are my Lord and I trust that you will work all things to good for me. But Lord, we ask that you would just be with those who are going through difficulty this morning. We ask you would be with the people of Ukraine and particularly our brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine. As they don't understand what's happening, Lord, may your sovereign will be done, we pray, in this world. But Lord, we bring our focus here. May your sovereign will be done in this church. And Lord, might we put you first as a church and see you lead us into blessing. Lord, we say you are a great God, and we love you. Amen.